0: You're listening to The Diplomat's podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda, a senior editor at The Diplomat based in New York City. And I'm joined today by a um, familiar guest on this podcast. I'm joined again by uh, Scott LaFoy. Scott's an imagery analyst, a producer for the Arms Control Wonk podcast, and recently has been writing for NK Pro. Uh, Thanks for joining me, Scott. Hey, Ankit. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to uh, have you on this podcast uh, when I can to uh, talk about missiles. Um, And you're interested in missiles, I'm interested in missiles, and we just had a parade where the North Koreans showed us quite a few missiles. But before we get to that parade, I want to talk a bit about the uh, presentation we saw this time. Um, So, Scott, the North Koreans kind of screwed us over this time, didn't they?
1: Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, the North Koreans It gave us, uh, we got times for when we thought the parade was going to be, and they came through various sources. Uh, and then we got notifications that it was delayed. And that came through a number of sources, some contradictory. Uh, and then it turned out after waiting like, what was it, like three, four hours, uh, it longer. had already happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they just didn't televise it live like they did last year for uh, Fest 2017. So the April 2017 parade We saw more or less in real time, and this one we had to basically wait uh, uh, quite a while for.
0: Mm -hmm. And for confused listeners who don't follow North Korea, Juche Fest is sort of the cutesy name that the North Korea watching community uses for these parades. Juche being North Korea's founding ideology of self-reliance, and Fest obviously being festival. This is an important moment for the country. It's a propaganda extravaganza. These aren't cheap. They uh, have been training for how many weeks now,
1: Scott? Have you been observing them training? Uh, at least since the last week in November, um, but the, the number of people training fluctuated over time, but at least since last the end of November.
0: Right, right. This is, uh, this is a big deal for North Korea. Um, and obviously they use it to tell the world about their uh, programmatic aspirations with their um, weapons programs. We see everything in this from infantry to uh, armor to um, artillery. And obviously what Scott and I are mostly interested in is the strategic missile systems. Um, last year's parade in april on the day of the sun uh kim il sung's birthday his 105th birthday last year was especially remarkable um and we um we both i think did a few separate podcasts on this and uh wrote quite a bit on it as well but the north (laughs) koreans showed us a huge range of new missiles um and it was actually remarkable in retrospect that they didn't actually show us any new icbms they just showed us these two massive canisters that are still kind of mysteries um, but I think, Scott, the general takeaway from those canisters was that they were a programmatic signal about this is where we'd like to go.
1: Yeah, there's something that's, you know, 10 years down the line, five years down the line, we may see those canisters filled with missiles, but at least one year down the line, they're still empty. Right, right. Um, yeah.
0: And, you know, I mean, uh, we should talk a bit about the geopolitical context around this parade. So the North Koreans uh, accelerated it, uh, decided to have it on February 8th, a day before the Pyeongchang Olympics. Open in South Korea, and we have uh, Kim jong Nam and Kim Yo Jong, Kim, jo- uh, Kim Jong Un's younger sister, there uh, right now for the Olympics, and we've seen a period of inter-Korean rapprochement. But um, you know, whenever we're trying to divine North Korea's intentions, there is a degree of tea leaf reading. Um, With this parade, especially the fact that they didn't really focus on live broadcasting and they broadcasted actually around when uh, U.S. Vice President Mike Pence was landing up in South Korea, there was a bit of, uh, you know, carrot and stick sort of messaging. I mean, the North Koreans were, you know, have been engaged in diplomacy with South Korea, but this was a show of military force and military power. But also this could be for North Korean elites to show that Kim Jong-un isn't necessarily softening up with his outreach to South Korea and remains committed to the Pyongjin project, Uh, the Pyongjin project obviously being uh, Kim Jong-un's sort of chosen guiding ideology of pursuing both economic prosperity and a robust nuclear deterrent. And if you look at some of the photographs the North Koreans have released, you really see some nice framing that hits that home. You see sort of skyscrapers in the background of Kim Il-sung Square with Hwasong-12, intermediate range missiles on transporter erector launchers. Really, it's supposed to give anyone that's looking at that image, the idea that Kim Jong-un is succeeding in this endeavor. That's right. Right. Uh, So, Scott, you want to jump right into the hardware?
1: Oh, yes, the best part. Uh, So, they came out of the gate with this CRBM-SRBM thing. We're not sure what it is yet exactly, but it looks like an Iskander. It's designed to look like the Russian um, short-range ballistic missile known as Iskander, which for the Russians is a dual-capable system um, it's supposed to be precision-guided. It's supposed to have all sorts of very, very fancy uh, sensors on it. it. has a fancy electro-optical sensor. It's supposed to have terminal guidance. All this very fancy stuff that amounts to um, a high-tech precision missile that can dodge ballistic missile defenses um, and basically strike at uh, supposedly well-protected hardened targets. So the North Koreans seem to, at least to us, to be – Messaging that they are working on such a system. Mm -hmm. Um, We've never seen them use guidance packages nearly as sophisticated as an Iskander actually has. That's a top-of-the-line missile system um, that's very hard to replicate. Um, But there's a lot of little things on it that make it look like an Iskander. The Mm -hmm. shape of its nose cone uh, looks like an Iskander's shape. Uh, And most notably, the tail has this very strange hinged top that sort of opens almost like you'd expect like a fire door to open at a firehouse, which is only used by the Iskander's tell. And so the sort of imagery messaging is that it's, it's related to the Iskander. There's no real reason to use one of these hinged things. Only one system uses it. Putting it on your system evokes a certain image, and that image is a precision missile.
0: Right. Okay. I'm just going to slow down and give our listeners a little bit of a glossary. Uh, so, CRBM is a close range ballistic missile. That's any system that's capable of striking up to a range of 300 kilometers. SRBM is short range. That takes you from 300 to 1,000 kilometers. The TEL that Scott was talking about is the Transporter Erector Launcher, which is the vehicle that carries the missile and is also used to stand it upright and launch it. Um, but, Scott, I want to come back to a few of the things you said. Um, so, yes, yes, I mean, I think a lot of analysts noted that this really did look like an iskander i think there's no arguing with that i mean i look at this missile i see an iskander they're trying to evoke an iskander i think we can probably say that they have not created a missile with the specifications of an iskander especially when it comes to precision and maneuverability but certainly i think you know this fits into a longer-term project we've seen with north korea's strategic systems we've seen this last year especially with systems like the kn18 and the kn21 both of those are different SCUD variants, SCUDs being North Korea's uh, oldest missiles, the short-range ballistic missiles, uh, among the most proliferated in the world. The North Koreans have quite a bit of experience with these systems, uh, and they're quite reliable for North Korea. And last year, they modified them to be more precise, uh, to have a bit of use in, in uh, nuclear warfighting. Um, and I think it's also important to say that while the Iskander is dual-capable, dual um, I'm doubtful that the North Koreans have a nuclear capability on a missile this small. That's right. Um, Yeah. So I think I think uh, that's quite doubtful. But that doesn't mean that this missile um, should be kind of swept aside as we focus on the ICBMs and the IRBMs. And I kind of feel like that's been the case since last year when North Korea showed off the ICBM. Most of the mass media coverage focuses on those missiles. And a lot of these interesting developments in the rest of their program um, sort of get swept to the side, with the exception of the uh, intermediate range ballistic missiles that they shot over Japan. Um, But I think I think the system is uh, also, you know, worth Noting is that last year in October, they tested a unknown solid motor um, near Hamhung, their, uh, their solid motor test site. And um, we don't know what this missile was. I mean, I, I wrote about this at the time. I sort of speculated that it might have been a test bed for either a uh, Pukuksong-3 submarine launch ballistic missile, a follow-on to the Pukuksong-1, which is a solid motor system, or a potentially larger missile, an intermediate-range ballistic missile, possibly even part of an ICBM upper stage, something like that. Um, given that we now see this missile, that's almost certainly a solid system, given its size and given what we know about North Korea's experience with the KNO2 toxin, so I think there's a pretty good chance that they might have tested this um, booster. I mean, what's your what's your take?
1: Yeah, I think that's entirely right. Um, that's something we've been trying to figure out for a while: is what that exact uh, test was. Like you said, there's there's so many different cases for what it could be but i mean the simplest thing is we had an unknown booster test and then we have an unknown booster show up in a parade uh the test grounds we've seen it before used for you know not the largest diameter missile uh not an immensely large diameter uh test so it seems to be on the smaller end uh that's not definitive by any means that's just sort of putting loose data points together but i think that's a very reasonable connection right now Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and so you know i mean we'll we'll come back to this missile i fully expect them to resume testing things i mean um you know no you know, not to be a pessimist, but I think this sort of Olympic era rapprochement is probably going to come to an end once the U.S.-South Korea exercises begin uh, after the Paralympics end on March 18th, and the North Koreans are probably going to keep up. I mean, uh, they do generally, um, they like to show off their warfighting capabilities. Last year in March, uh, they showed off a simultaneous launch of multiple extended range scuds. If they wanted to show off a warfighting capability, they may well choose to use this new missile. Uh, So um, not that I'm hoping that they use it, but I think we'll get more data. Uh, from a future test when they'll uh, choose to fly test the system.
1: I think that's right.
0: Yeah. Um. So let's uh, let's keep going further down the parade. So what do we see after this guy? We saw the Pukuk Song 2s and the Hwasong 12s. Am I
1: right? Yeah, that's right. And they they really just kind of blasted past those, both in the parade footage and in later KCNA imagery. They did not really put much of an emphasis on the Pukuk Song 2s at all. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, I, I do want to talk a bit about the Pukuk Song 2s because last year in may they had the second flight test it was successful and kim jong-un then says all right i like this missile it's reached ioc let's start mass producing it and then later last year uh, i also you know reported that apparently the u.s intelligence community had seen evidence that they had started mass producing this so i was actually wondering if they would show us more than six units at the parade Mm -hmm. um and you know we'll come back to this question of how useful parades are for actually gauging the size of a force structure i'm actually skeptical that they're going to be actually that useful but you know it's interesting that we just saw six tells and they do this for obviously a degree of symmetry right they don't want to have um a a much larger number of song 2 launchers than they do hua song 12s you know it's a little bit aesthetically pleasing if you're a parade planner to have six and six and four and four later on so maybe you know i mean there are other choices at work here but yeah i mean i mean this system is is certainly one of the um you know the big kind of takeaways from 2017 it's a solid fuel medium range system uh threatens uh, all of japan with um, and obviously takes less time to launch than um, most of their older liquid fuel systems so i think uh, the pukuk song was um you know i wasn't entirely surprised that they choose to include it in this parade Um, Hwasong-12, anything, anything notable about the Hwasong-12s? They rolled past?
1: No, not, frankly, they didn't really do much with it. They, they put up a lot of nice imagery of it. Like you said, they, um, they included a lot of shots of the Hwasong-12, uh, with the buildings in the back showing the prosperity of Pyongyang. Um, I kind of think the Hwasong-12 was also featured imagery wise because that is sort of the Guam bracket missile. Mm -hmm. So that one has a little bit of resonance as sort of a thing used in uh, rhetoric and propaganda in 2017 so it has a little more resonance as sort of a deterrence messaging weapon but otherwise there wasn't there wasn't any new data that came off of it we didn't really learn anything from the hwasong 12s being paraded they were even in the same uh, color scheme we've seen before right well i think at last year's parade uh,
0: when we saw them and we didn't know what they were they had the um the white nose cone accents
1: that's correct. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's the same paint job as uh, some of the launch configurations. Right. I'm sorry. You're yeah. correct. During the last parade, totally different paint job. Um, but when we've seen uh, launch footage this year, if I remember correctly, it's been uh, painted up yellow and black like it is now.
0: Yeah, I think the I think starting with the May 14th test, the first successful flight test, they switched to the yellow nose cone. I actually
1: don't know what it means. Do you have a theory about what the uh,
0: the paint job means?
1: Uh, No, I've actually seen a couple ones. And I think we talked about this for last year's parade also about whether or not they're sort of rebranding the strategic force as something very threatening by doing these sort of uh, black oriented paint jobs instead of the camo ones we've seen before or the uh, steel slash aluminum colored ones we've seen prior to that. Mm -hmm. But I'd love to hear what you got what are your thoughts
0: on it? Uh, I mean, I gotta say, they look much better. <laughs> they do. <laughs> That's uh, true. You know, on a purely uh, on a purely aesthetic level, they do. Uh, you know, they do look more menacing. The hwasong 14, I think, could use a little bit of a touch up. It just looks like you know, if you look at it from far away, it just kind of looks like a uh, a big bullet. Um, but but yeah, no, certainly the hwasong 12 and the hwasong 15, the big beast, look like pretty intimidating missiles. Um, I think you know, there's a bit of uh, Soviet design influence to them, obviously. So. Cool. You know, I'm surprised to see, um, I'm not surprised to see that the North Koreans have chosen to uh, kick up their uh, marketing, so to speak. I mean, they do a lot of, you know, I mean, we've, um, a lot of North Korean analysts talk about how remarkable their transparency is. You know, they show Mm. us so much and they obviously want viewers to walk away with a message. um, So it helps to make your missiles look menacing.
1: Yeah, it's a part. I mean, a good part of deterrence is issuing the credible threat, and so these parades and these KCNA and the Moon sort of photo sets we get are all part of sort of a greater message that's being sent. It's mm-hmm. not just it works; it's that it's also a threat. There's a there's a thing going on with all this. Mm-hmm, All mm-hmm.
0: All right, so that's the uh, Pukuk Song Twos and the Hwasong Twelves. Um, good to see them again at the same uh, at, okay. at the parade on Kim Il Sung Square, um, and then we get to the big baddies, uh, the two ICBMs. The Hwasong-14, which was tested twice last year. It was the first ever North Korean ICBM to see flight testing. They tested it on July 4th. Um, And kind of, you know, I think for most of the year, or for the middle of the year, everybody was going crazy about the Hwasong-14. And then in November 2017, they test the Hwasong-15, which... I don't know if an analyst who, or a serious analyst who doesn't think that the Hwasong 15 ranges the entirety of the United States. And the U.S. intelligence community has actually assessed that North Korea can range all of U.S. territory with the Hwasong 15, even Florida. So Mar-a-Lago is within range of that beast. That's right. Um, So let's talk about the 14 first, because there's, I actually think this might be one of
1: the more interesting things to come out of this parade. Oh, absolutely. I, I think this was at least for me personally. When we were, you know, talking about this and casing it out ahead of time, this this is the single most important data point for me was what the Huasong 14s showed up on. Yeah. So actually, let's
0: take let's take a quick pause here and actually talk about what our expectations were. Right. So I wrote this. You know, you and I were both talking before the parade. I wrote this piece where I was like, the one thing that I'm really interested in is their ICBM launchers. You know, how many transporter erector launchers do we see? What kind of transporter erector launchers do we see? Do we just see transporters? Do we see trailers? Do we see Integrated transporter erector launchers? Do we see the Wanshan 5112 fifty-one uh, 51200, the old Chinese logging trucks that North Korea imported and converted mm-hmm. into ICBM launchers? Um, do, do we see them in a new configuration? Um, all of these questions were at the top of my mind. So now, you know, when we talk about the Hwasong 14 and the Hwasong 15, listeners will hopefully have a little bit more context for what we're actually, you know, why we're so excited about this stuff. So take it away, Scott. What do we see with the WaSong 14?
1: So we we like you said we, ahead of time we were talking about it what it shows up on and we kind of joked that like the way they could de- deny us analytic conclusions is if it shows up on a trailer mm-hmm. because they've been talking about we got heads up ahead of time like CNN was dropping that there should be dozens and dozens of ICBMs on dozens and dozens of tells and tell production capability is something we're looking at right now and seeing how many launch vehicles they can produce and so if there had been. Even seven tells during the parade, that's a huge jump for them because that means either someone's been breaking sanctions again or they have an indigenous tell production capability, which is, as I said, analytically still up for debate. Um, If they had shown eight, it would have been a huge deal. If they had shown dozens and dozens, it would have been a huge deal. And instead, the Hwasong 14s came out on trailers, (laughs) denying us any analytic uh, ability to you know, assess their tail production capability, but it's a very special trailer because mm-hmm. it's not just what, you know, last year we saw the pukuk one submarine-launched ballistic missile come out on what I would describe as a very basic uh, transport trailer, something you'd see, you know, anywhere industrially, not something special for missiles. But the Hwasong-14 came out on what appears to be the same trailer that was paraded in 2017 with a canister on it. In um, what we jokingly refer to, depending on what analyst you talk to, looks like either a, DF30, a Chinese DF-31 or DF-21 is not related to them, just looks like them, um, but stripped down very heavily. It didn't appear to have a launcher component to it. There was no launch table. There was no hydraulic arm to lift the missile into position prior to launch. It looks like they stripped down something we saw in last year's parade to just a transport and display mode and put ICBMs on it
0: exactly yeah it really reminded me of kind of what India does for its Agni missiles at its Republic yes. Day parades it was just you know here's a nice missile on a nice truck and there's a couple of fire extinguishers on it and not much else
1: yeah that was very interesting that they left those they stripped a lot of material off of it but they kept the fire extinguishers hey
0: safety first you know um, with a with an empty airframe pre- presumably um but yeah it is it is interesting i mean so i mean so first of all you know we saw it was actually nice for me to see the Hwasong 14 on that trailer just cuz you know it gave you an idea of the relative size of that canister we saw last year and the Hwasong That's 14 right. looked too big for it um so if they were to put anything in there it would probably be the Hwasong 12 but again i don't think they're going to do a liquid fuel system or maybe they will the north korean's have done liquids on road mobile systems so maybe they'll be the first to do cold launch liquids from canisters who knows
1: that would be quite the show
0: it would be it would be um but but yeah i mean it it, it was kind of funny i mean the wasong 14 really kind of seemed like the redheaded stepchild of the parade uh you know they kind of trotted out it's like okay here's the wasong 14 and you know just eight months earlier everybody was going crazy about this missile we were all trying to analyze its range you know does it stop at chicago does it go all the way to washington and obviously they answered that pretty unequivocally with the Huasong 15, which <laughs> rolls up right behind the Huasong 14s at the parade. And what do we see them on? We see them on, I think, the very same four tells that we saw last year in that topol looking configuration. And I think there's an important giveaway, which is that we've seen these, uh we've seen these based transporters, uh, we've seen the cabs converted to use a three-window configuration when the stock configuration's two windows. Mm-hmm. And I think that third window is, you know, there because they had to shave down the cab to accommodate that canister last year. And they've reversed that. Um, so the way they've gone about that, I think, is put that third window in the middle. Um,
1: That's right. They And it's important. to. I think we noted this earlier in the podcast, but just sort of as a reminder, while we're talking about it now, these apparent ws 50 51-200s, I can never say that correctly, um, have been used for both KN08 mods, uh, the Huasong 14 launches, and the Huasong 15. So we've seen this thing reconfigured, a num- and the canistered, uh, and that weird, like you said, Topol-M looking thing that was shown in 2017 parade. So we've seen these things reconfigured a lot. Mm-hmm. But for use with the 15, it's not just uh, changing, you know, the arm that lifts the missile into position. It's not just about the cab. It's just not not just about the launch table. They add an extra axle onto it. Right, that's the big yeah. That's uh, actually, which is a fairly significant modification compared to the other surface mods. Right, so let's actually, you know, what does that
0: addition of an axle tell us about their capabilities? I mean, it looks. I mean, you know, it's it's not the cleanest job to add on another axle to a truck like this, but. It looks, I mean, when you look at this thing, it doesn't look like a sort of Frankentel or a Franken truck. I mean, it looks like, you know, if, if you told me that the manufacturer intended for this to be a nine axle truck, I'd have been like, okay. I mean, you know, they've, they've at least used a wheel that looks to be analogous to all the other wheels. It doesn't look like it's entirely sort of been patched together in a, in a very, uh, you know, Juche typical way. Um, I mean, they've done a pretty decent job with this truck. What do you
1: think? Yeah, that's right. And it's It's still up for question if they can produce them indigenously, but and they certainly haven't shown us proof uh, unambiguous proof that they can produce them, like fully produce them from scratch indigenously. Um, but I'm starting to lean that way the better they get at more complex modifications like this. it's It's another one of those things where I don't expect it's going to be a twenty year problem for them um if it is still a problem at all. absolutely. I think I think, you know, two, three
0: years is realistic. I mean, given that they're already at least able to work with the materials to add on an axle, add on a couple wheels. Um, I think, you know, it, and then it kind of gets into the actual combustion engine and the cab and building that and testing it. But also, I mean, you know, we can talk a bit about making assumptions about a country's force structure based on a parade. I mean, the North Koreans yes. are transparent, but I don't think you know with any other country, any other nuclear weapon state that we would look at a parade and then make serious assumptions about their force structure. I mean, we would know what kinds of missiles, you know, what kinds of systems they're looking to use. Obviously, I think you can do that with uh, you can do that with India, you can do that with Russia, with China. Um, but counting up specific numbers is a perilous exercise. I think with the North yes. Koreans, we can be a little bit more confident because we have. Um, evidence. I mean, so the UN panel of experts, I should tell listeners, in in 2013 did a whole thing on these trucks that we're talking about. And they said that the North Koreans had received six of them um, from from the Chinese company um, under falsified export licenses. And we've seen at least four of them converted into the Hwasong 15. Um, And there wasn't a backup Hwasong 15 at the parade, right, Scott?
1: Uh, Not that I'm aware of.
0: Right, there was a backup. Um, I'm still waiting for
1: a little some some good satellite imagery on that, and I think something actually came out today that I need to go review. Um, But as far as I'm aware, it was just four Hwasong uh, 15s, and it was five Hwasong 14s.
0: Right. Yeah. So my mental model is that they have currently right now they have four of these configured to launch and carry Hwasong 15s, and then I think two of them are still configured for the Hwasong 14. And we probably saw both of them last year. We saw one at uh, one near Kusong and one near uh, Pyong ni at the uh, arms factory there, which is actually one of the sites that they probably use to modify these trucks. That's right. Um, So that's that's my kind of working model. Uh, There are some reports that suggest they have as many as eight, but we have seen no evidence. There's an Asahi Shimbun article that I think is kind of the source on this that says they first received four and then they received another four. Um, but again, we've seen no evidence that they actually have eight of these trucks and, you know, I mean, knowing what we know about the North Koreans and kind of knowing the strategic situation between the United States, kind of considering a bloody nose strike and North Korea's own deterrent calculations. I mean, the North Koreans aren't necessarily incentivized to hide the fact that they have more launchers. I don't think they are.
1: That's right. There's some people have brought up that there may be a practical consideration about having all your launchers in one place to show them off, Yeah. um, which is a little, I, I think maybe a little overdone because of people's Perhaps misunderstanding of how escalation and whatnot works. yeah uh, but yeah, they have a they they have a reasonable incentive to make to show off in any way they can the robustness, the qualitative, and quantitative aspects of their arsenal. um they they have, I think, a pretty heavy deterrent incentive to show that everything's big and good, absolutely.
0: Yeah, they they gain nothing um, a little by hiding it. I mean, you know, I think it's uh, I think we should take a moment at least on the podcast to talk about what we didn't see, which I thought was really interesting. Right? I mean, mm. uh, the older, you know, we didn't see a single Scud class missile. No that's standard range Scud. No Scud B. No Scud C. No KN18. No KN21. No um, uh, what other uh, liquids am I missing here? Uh, oh, the Musudan. Uh, Musudan's been gone right. off the scene for a bit. The uh, um the predecessor to the Hwasong 12. The original guam killer and actually that entire 4d 10 set of missiles is just missing
1: that's right Um, we basically didn't see any of uh kim jong-il's missiles
0: right um yeah that's uh that yeah that's actually that's actually a very good way to kind of package that um yeah kim jong-il's missiles are no longer to be seen and we know we i think a lot of analysts had a little freak out when we saw that poster last year in august at the chemical Hmm. materials institute with the hwasong 13 um raising questions about, you know, is this still an active program? Does North Korea sort of have competing programs on ICBM designs? Um, but we've seen very little evidence that they're still working on these um, missiles. So that I think is interesting. But, you know, I mean, the, uh, the absence of these missiles at the parade uh, could tell us any number of things, right? I think there's the pessimistic take that they have these deployed right now uh, to uh, deter South Korea and the United States or they their we're getting ready to do sort of um, war fighting exercises once the US South Korea exercises begin um, any any range of explanations. But, you know, these are kind of I mean, the Scuds are North Korea's bread and butter. Uh, That's right. They're said to have 200 launchers, potentially as many as 800 to 1000 missiles um, all over the country. So I thought, you know, I thought it was still interesting that we didn't see them. And, you know, I mean, we could we could talk about the effect of sanctions. Right. I mean, we've talked about the expense of a parade like this. That's and correct. You know, you have to expend uh, fuel to uh, get all these tr- tr- trucks up and running. And if you can get, you know, 90% of your deterrent message across with your Hwasong-14, your Hwasong-15, your Hwasong-12, your Song 2 and your new Iskander-looking missile, you'll probably go for that rather than go the extra 10% by bringing out your old Scuds and Nodongs that everyone knows you have and knows they probably work pretty well.
1: Exactly. That's actually why um, one of the few reasons I'd, I'd actually be interested if the US does a military parade of all things. Um, <laughs> because if there's ever an audit of it or a GAL report that reports on its expenditure, it would actually be a very interesting model to use to try to extrapolate the cost to other countries for military parades. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have a very good bead on that. I have a very rough. Uh, Estimate for that sort of thing, and it'd be very interesting to see if we get something like a petroleum products uh, estimation that we can then go back and use to uh, compare and see what you know North Korea is using every year for these sorts of things. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you know, I mean, I I don't think yeah we don't like I don't want to overstate how expensive something like this is because I think uh, on balance I think Kim Jong Un's getting his money's worth. I think Mm. the signal this sends is is probably worthwhile for a country like North Korea even if they do bear quite a bit of expense and obviously there's the domestic kind of propaganda concept right so if you're if you're trying to hit home your your success with your Pyongyang line you're gonna trot out your missiles in front of your skyscrapers and you know this parade did that pretty well and you know the um the kind of firsthand um footage that was posted by uh um i forget what was the name of the guy we were all retweeting i want to kind of credit him do you remember michael, michael spavor michael spavor right right so he uh, was one of the few foreigners on the ground in pyongyang at this parade where there were no foreign journalists allowed. Um, And, you know, you you see people across the city um, waving at troops and kind of APCs going around the country. I mean, this does have an important kind of propaganda, national identity component to it, too, that, you know, we shouldn't overlook. That's correct. Um, All right. So I think we're about ready to wrap it up. Scott, any any closing thoughts
1: on this parade? Uh, I think we basically covered it all. It's interesting that they didn't show off you know, more tells that that leaves it an deliberately ambiguous, but, you know, that's going to up suspicion that they can't do them. And I think it's interesting that they didn't show off any shorter range liquid systems and showing sort of the Pukuk Song 2 and this weird new tactical solid system kind of hints to me that they're trying to send the message that they, uh, the short range arsenal is well alive. It's it's being paid. It's getting a plenty of attention paid to it, and it's getting modernization because mm-hmm. um, these things are going to be very mobile compared to... Uh, compared to the scuds that's right that's right completely agree um well scott thanks so much for joining me today yeah thank you for having me on it's absolutely, always a pleasure to be here man
0: absolutely a pleasure um and for listeners who uh like listening to scott he does a lot more of this at his um at the podcast he produces arms control wonk where discussions are about 10 times wonkier than what we just did um so definitely definitely check out arms control wonk with uh with scott and jeffrey lewis and aaron stein who've also um, had on the show before. Um, so thanks for listening. If you uh, like what you heard, leave us a rating on iTunes and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. We'll be back soon with more on the show. Thank you.